I speak to you in the name of the love that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Celia, my wife, tells of a formative experience she had as a very young child while at Mass with her family. She was one of six children in a Roman Catholic family, and there they all were in the pew at church. Father, three oldest boys in birth order, Celia's twin brother, herself, and her baby brother. Her mother was playing the organ as usual. The priest was into his sermon, and at one point he leaned forward for emphasis and said, God is just like your father. Well, Celia's father had been sergeant major in the Royal Air Force during the war, and he treated his children as though they were his to command. Celia said she leaned forward on the pew, looked down the line at her father sitting at the end, and said to herself, I don't think so. It seems like the Pharisees in our first read or our reading from Luke's gospel this morning are pretty clear about who their God is too. They know exactly what God expects of them and they do it. And they also know that those who do not do what God expects them to do are beyond the pale. They are outcasts and sinners outside the covenant and they are not to be associated with. And they grumbled about Jesus when he ignored that custom and said, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is the context of the story of the uh, prodigal son. As is his way, and by way of reply, Jesus then tells the crowd three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and our reading for this morning, The Lost Son. The primary focus in all of these parables is not about what has been lost, but about the joy of the finder, finding what has been lost. The parable of the loving father is the most explicit. Commentators tell us that what the younger son asks his father for goes completely against the accepted social customs of the time. This just was not done. And that alone would make him despicable. But to make matters worse, he wastes all the money he gets on wine, women, and song, and ends up feeding the pigs, a disgusting animal to the Jews. There is no doubt that the older brother is quite right about everything he says about his younger brother. The amazing thing is the father's response when his son returns. He sees his son while he is still a long way off, the text tells us, and he runs to meet him. He runs to welcome him home. He doesn't care about what his son has done, He doesn't care where his son has been. He only cares that his son has returned. He is overjoyed. He's beside himself. Before the son can even speak, the father kisses him and orders his slaves to prepare a party. Quickly, bring a robe, the best one. 
put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is not the only time we hear about such a loving, forgiving, generous God in the Gospels. In a similar parable to this one, the laborers in the vineyard, those who work for only one hour in the vineyard receive as much pay as those who work for a whole day in the sweltering sun. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And as the Apostle Paul says, God proves his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No doubt he's thinking of his own life. Jesus died to show us that God's love for us has no limits. And as Jesus reminds us, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. God's constantly and consistently loving action as displayed in Jesus is grounded in God's very own being and nature. Love, relationship, is at the heart of the Trinity, the inner life of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. Consider this. There is an infinite qualitative difference between God and us, between time and eternity. God is in heaven, and we are on the earth. Our language and our concepts and our thoughts do not and cannot grasp God. If God did not reveal himself to us, as he has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would know nothing about him. As we heard last week from Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is utterly complete and whole and sufficient in himself. He has no need of anything and lacks nothing. No operation or relation external to God can constitute or augment God's life which is already infinitely replete and whole in itself. Nothing can make God more or less. Nothing can either add or subtract from what or who God already is. God is utterly and completely and wholly sufficient unto himself. It would not make any difference to God's glory and majesty if she never created anything or was never born as a child on Christmas morning. Even if that were so, God would lack nothing. 
There's still more to say, but I'd like to start with a bit of a personal story. Shortly after returning to the church in midlife after 20 years away, I was talking with a friend of mine about uh, what had happened to me, and he suddenly said, well, I don't believe in God. What happens to me when I die? And I reached for the only answer that I had. I guess you go to hell. (laughs) Not terribly surprisingly, our relationship was never quite the same after that. He didn't like the idea that he was going to hell if he didn't believe. And frankly, neither did I. I have never been able to reconcile the fact that God is supposed to be unconditionally loving and, at the same time, send some folks to unending torment for not doing what he wants them to do. I was distressed about this cognitive dissonance for years, decades even, and I eventually came to the conclusion that really everyone goes to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. This is universalism. And as I'm sure someone will point out, universalism is a heresy. Well, not quite. And it's the not quite part that's instructive. The heresy is that all people must go to heaven. And that view is quite rightly considered a heresy because it puts a constraint on God. It says God must save all people. And if God must do anything, God would no longer be utterly complete and whole and sufficient in herself. But this doesn't say that all people will not, in fact, go to heaven, only that we cannot say that they must go. The point of saying must is to ensure that universal salvation will occur. Try to make it certain. But what if we have a God whose very nature and essence is simply to be loving? What if that's just what she does and who she is? What if we see that love in the relationship of the persons of the Trinity to each other, for example? The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. What if our God is a God who, without having to do so, in complete freedom, with no constraints, without getting anything at all out of it, in a sort of overflow of her own loving nature and being, seeks, creates, and maintains fellowship between herself and us? What if our God simply chooses to love us in this way and to do so steadfastly and eternally? What if our God, through no necessity beyond herself and her own good pleasure, and without reference to any existing aptitude or worthiness on the part of the loved, that's us, simply just loves us all and everything else she has created. Isn't this beginning to sound like a God we could love and praise and adore? 
Doesn't this sound like the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who Scripture tells us sent his Son to save us? Can't we count on this love and treat it as the rock of our salvation? And after all, wouldn't you rather have a God who loves you just because she loves you rather than a God who loves you because she has to? What we see in Jesus Christ is the eternal, steadfast love of God for each one of us individually and all of us collectively. This is the good news. Everything else is just detail. Amen.